0: So 90% of people who have substance use disorder started in their adolescence. Um, For me, it started in about 7th grade. I didn't really get into heavier drugs until high school.
1: That was Sean Nicholson, Director of Development for the Phoenix Foundation and spokesman for the new Recovery High School slated to open downtown September 2020. The Recovery High School is one of the latest efforts to address the ongoing opioid crisis facing Frederick County residents and the country overall. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is Frederick Uncut. Those behind the Recovery High School announced on November 18th that they would be opening the school in the building at 117th East Church Street, the current home for Habitat for Humanity. To hear more about the Recovery High School, I invited Nicholson into the studio to talk about why Frederick County needs such a high school.
0: Yeah, so my name's is Shawn Nicholson. Um, I'm a person in recovery. Um, what that means to me is that I've, I haven't had any um, mind-altering chemicals or substances, drugs or alcohol, since um, October 13th of 2015. Um, I got involved with Phoenix, I had a passion since I uh, got sober to try to affect change in adolescence to kind of like keep them from going through some of the things that I went through here in Frederick County as, as a child growing up because of my substance use issues. Um, And so, I had done some work inside the school system with some education programs, prevention, and some um, very passionate individuals kind of recruited me and said, hey, you know, this is what we want to do. We want to try to bring this to Frederick. And one of those guys was John Edmonds, who's the um, president and founder of Phoenix Foundation. And he's a graduate of a Recovery High School, and he's been clean and sober ever since for about 30 years. Um, and so, you know, once I started to do uh, educate myself on the topic and on uh, the structure and model and logistics involved with the Recovery High School, I was very intrigued, um, very impressed. And there's a lot of data out there that statistically proves that these models work. Um, and so I was on board, and, and we started the foundation about 18 months ago, and. Uh, We've been busy, busy since.
1: All right, perfect. So can you just kind of walk me through what a recovery high school looks like?
0: Sure. So there's 53-ish, 53 or 54 recovery high schools in the United States. The closest one to us being here in Frederick is in Philadelphia. Um, These are small niche schools. You're talking on average 25 to 45 kids. Very intimate, very personable, very small student-to-teacher ratio. Um, There are some schools that are a little bit larger, but even like Houston, Texas has two schools that are around 90 kids in each school, and that's the biggest. Um, But because the environment needs to be conducive for people that are, you know, healing and working through the process of recovery that have had struggles in the past, it all... It provides that small setting provides such more personal relationships and it's hard for for somebody that has these extenuating issues to be in a normal school setting where it's 40 to 1 uh, student teacher ratio and so the focus here is academics it's a accredited uh, school through the the state of Maryland but there will be a huge aspect um, In place on you know recovery and uh, it's a it's a peer pressure environment but in a positive sense like when I was going through my struggles and I went off to you know treatment um, you know they said listen when you go home you stay away from the people places and things that caused you or influenced you to make bad decisions and for a kid in high school you know, as great as our school system here, here in Frederick, County, Frederick mm-hmm. County Public Schools is, is like, that's where it all started. I mean, they're around negative peer pressure. They're around influences and in others that are already involved. Maybe, you know, they're in ninth grade and twelfth graders are already dabbling or they have older brothers and sisters maybe. But um, this puts them in a, a a place, a safe place for them to succeed where everybody has the same mindset and everybody is on the same goal of, of working towards staying abstinent and, and drug alcohol-free.
1: So if I'm in ninth grade and I come to the recovery high school, do I stay in ninth grade or is this kind of like a Montessori style high school where you have teachers teaching a group of various ages with right. different lessons?
0: So everybody's process in recovery is different. In um, some of the other work I do, you know, people do go and get treatment and figure it out and they do extremely well for the rest of their lives but that's not the norm the norm is that this is a process over time you take pieces of what you learn uh and and you and you put it together and so our goal as a foundation would not be to like trap them there you know if a kid comes to us in ninth grade we would want them, whether or not they had to go to treatment first or maybe they just identify that they're having issues at an early age and the parents understand, okay, you know, drugs and alcohol are leading them to make bad decisions. Let's put them in a different structure. You know, Our goal would be to equip them with the, the tools necessary to succeed and sustain in a successful life of recovery um, and, 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 and go back into that environment. Um, and graduate with their friends and their school, but that's not the case for everybody. Some people are going to need uh, and benefit better from staying in the structure, um, and so you might get a kid that comes in at tenth or eleventh grade, or maybe, and, and they graduate with us. You might get a kid that comes in ninth grade and stays for a year, realizes how to you know make good decisions, and goes back into the school system. Um, They might have a kid who feels unsafe with doing that. You know, we're not going to say, well, you can only be here a year and you've got to go back to your school. Um, And there will be a large emphasis because the kids who are graduating, whether they came to us in 12th grade, you know, they have to go back into a life setting regardless. After 12th grade, it's over. Where are they going to go next? And so having case management and, and proper people in place to help them make those next best decisions into, um, you know, higher education or life in general is going to be a very huge, important asset, a valuable asset. Um, And, you know, there are, you know, collegiate recovery schools. There are, uh, you know, recovery networks or environments within other parts of Maryland. If they were going to stay local in school, And so that will be one huge emphasis we have is is aftercare and case management, whether they're going back into their old school system, how to provide them with resources, um, and then also as they're going on to further their education.
1: All right. And why high school? Why that age to start talking about recovery?
0: You know, it's what's working well across the country. Not to say that kids do not need resources and and that's important to talk about why we're here is that um, there's a huge lack of resources for our kids for for mental health, substance use disorder, um, even just engaging atmospheres for them to have a release and to have a conducive environment to to hang out. Um, you know one of our goals in the near future, is to establish an APG, which is an alternative peer group. And that is um, a setting outside of the day-to-day school environment, after school, weekends, that would give these kids a place to congregate and release um, and to be in a productive environment and so you know engaging environment incentive providing environment where there's pool tables and video games and at the same time we incorporate you know recovery coaching academic tutoring and you might have 20 kids in the school in the first year but you might have 40 kids come into this APG and maybe only 10 of them actually go to school there because you know where can our kids go to receive resources and information about, you know, they might be at risk. Their parents might be incarcerated. Their mom or dad might be in active addiction. And they are very susceptible to having the same issues as their parents, especially if they're in an at-risk environment. So putting them in giving them an avenue to come and talk about those things. And then we, you would also be able to identify, okay, well, there's some primary mental health issues here, you know, and we can refer out to people who can provide those resources, or, or, you know, there's there's another issue. There's an eating disorder here. You know, so we won't be a clinical perspective, like, uh, aspect, but we'll have those relationships to where when we can identify those issues, we can put them in the proper settings.
1: All right, perfect. So where are you in the process right now of developing and bringing this recovery high school to Frederick?
0: So there's a couple moving parts and there's a lot of people um involved with making this come together. Um, we've grown our board of directors out. Uh and we have some very influential and very intelligent people that are working on a couple key parts. Um my part is 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 development. It's, I'm the director of development for Phoenix Foundation, but I was also a founding board member in the beginning of this. Um we are working very hard to raise a lot of money, and we're doing very, very well at that. Um, the community has really opened up their doors and are very excited about this resource. I think if we step back and look at like what's going on just in our world, in our country in general, we have a huge epidemic and a huge crisis, and you know people are losing their lives, and parents are losing their kids every day. And it's very unfortunate. Um, and I think, we, I think that we're catching up with maintaining the problem and we're spending a lot of money on a federal level, a state level, a county level to maintain that problem. But we are not focusing much energy or resources, financially especially, on the front end front end of this thing, and that's with our kids. Like if we're gonna change And make a real difference or shift the dynamic of this whole epidemic we have to get in front of it where it starts and so nine out of ten people who have issues started adolescence so let's start there um and 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 my knowledge is that you know every dollar that's spent on prevention equates to eleven dollars in incarceration or treatment so let's spend it where it counts right um and so The community has realized that, and we have been able to raise, you know, a great amount of money. Um, We were very fortunate and very grateful for a partnership with the Osterman Foundation that they were able to uh, provide us with a a building that was just so practical, so perfect, um, and such a great setting um, for these kids to get their lives together. Along with that came $150,000. Uh, grant they gave us to make sure the building was up to code and that we could outfit the building with all the necessary needs that these kids would need from, you know, textbooks to laptops and so on and so forth. And so that has been a huge help. Um, But where we're at in the accreditation process, so there's a whole nother committee of educators um, and clinicians. Uh, One of our board members, Sarah View, who is a uh, social worker, and she currently works in a mental health facility. She is oversight for the accreditation process, along with some former Frederick County Public School teachers, um, some other people who work in education, one lady who is um, principal of a Sylvan Learning Center, and um, some very passionate people are putting together all the policies and procedures. We we were very fortunate that the recovery school community as a whole. There's a national accreditation, uh, uh, ARS, um, recovery school uh, accredited recovery schools. Um, they Association of Recovery Schools. I'm sorry, ARS. They are um, an open book. They kind of show you what curriculum is being used across the country, uh, what format and what settings and structures are proper. Um, you know the policies that are in place for the students and the parents. And this is, you know, one thing to think about in the process of your kid being in this, having these issues is like the parental perspective is huge. And so that's another part of the curriculum, another part of the structure that incorporates the parents learning how to heal through what they've been through or how to anticipate what to see or look for as things potentially, hopefully not, but could progress um, so there's learning, engaging curriculum for them as well. Um, but we will be accredited through the state of Maryland. In the state of Maryland, um, it's, it's called a non-public school. Um, and so the, the, the school will be on a, a tuition, uh, a sliding scale. And we will have uh, fundraising capabilities, grant opportunities, and, and s- private donations that will support kids who aren't capable of meeting those needs but um, you know the combined income of the household would determine the sliding scale pay um, and this is a 12-month school this is this there will be structured vacation times for parents to take their kids and do the things that they need to do but you cannot go to school for nine and a half months or ten months and then this kid who's working so hard go hang out with all their Friends that maybe not making the best decisions for two months and expect them to succeed, and so this is a twelve month school. Um,
1: All okay. right, and and how do students get to the school? What is the? Is it an application process?
0: So there will be an intake process. There will be multiple stages of um, an intake, an assessment, and referrals will come from many different avenues. Uh, some kids will be transitioning. From an inpatient facility um, where they went and got stabilized for, and uh, some kids will be coming from a public school environment where, you know, problems, issues have arose, and it's not to the point where this kid needs to go to treatment, but this kid needs something different, and we might be that option. And so the public school system, guidance counselors, football coaches, uh, maybe they are seeing a therapist already in town would would recommend or refer us um another avenue would potentially be um the juvenile system we're not going to be a diversion program so this is not going to be a place where all the bad kids come and i was one of those bad kids Um, my parents sent me to military school and i had a drug and alcohol problem and i learned how to shine shoes for fifteen thousand dollars a year which led me into many, many, many more years of destruction. And I just wonder, in 8th and ninth grade, if I'd have learned a little bit about the disease of addiction and substance use disorder, that I could, you know, maybe have taken a different path. But that path led me to where I am today, and I'm very thankful and grateful for that. The juvenile system, there were 600 um, juvenile cases through the state's attorney's office last year. 80% of those were substance use related. So, obviously, ideally... um, you know, kids that have a small bit of willingness uh, could come to this school from that avenue. The judge might say, "Okay, well, you want to go to this place, or do you want to try to come to the recovery high school?" And so we would be an option for that if there is willingness, if the parents are on board, um, and they're able to to help us.
1: Um, so does this begin at the beginning of the summer? So
0: yeah. So we're going to actually start. We already have um, application. I mean. Um, uh, there's job opportunities out there on Indeed and uh, a couple other avenues, including, I think, the Frederick News Post. We are taking out an ad, and we are going to hire July 1 uh, a few full-time teachers. Uh, we will have a part-time principal uh, January 1 and full-time July 1, um, and that will be um, September 2020 will be open for a day-to-day school.
1: So moving pretty quickly – and it's my understanding that you have the spot that the high school is going to go into now,
0: right? And that's what I was speaking about earlier was the location. Um, the Osterman Foundation, Family Foundation, was very generous and realizing early on that this was we were not duplicating any services. That this was a huge, huge, vital resource for this community, and they wanted to know how they could help. And having a space that was. Um, convenient for public transportation, you know, because we will draw kids from other counties, Washington County, potentially Montgomery County. Um, I think large census, most of our census will be here from Frederick County. Uh, There's 16 high schools in Frederick County. So if two kids that have these issues that are, have a little bit of willingness from each school, we're, you know, that's 30 couple kids. Um, but we do, we have an 8,000, 8,300 square foot, uh building on 117 east church street that is just almost perfect for this it has classroom environments structured through there will not be a major overhaul inside the building of any any way you know some love some new carpet some paint and it's going to be so good for this for what we're doing
1: and why was it important to have a building that's in downtown or frederick and like a, a centralized location
0: I think that um, having other wraparound resources and nonprofits that could assist in in these kids, whether that's potentially like you know scholarships to the YMCA or um, just you know Baker Park, and having uh, a place for these kids to um, come every day. That was convenient for people to get there was a huge asset, um, and on top of it, it's, the costs for us are, are very minimal. I mean, at twenty to forty kids and partial scholarships and full scholarships, you know, there's not a lot of revenue being generated, and there's no county dollars being marked for this. And so, for them to provide this space that could hold, you know, more than fifty kids. Um, if needed. And that would be sad if we did need to hold more than 50 kids here in Little Frederick County. Uh, we would have a real problem. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's perfect for us. The overhead is minimal. Um, they're going to help us outfit it. And we are so appreciative of that partnership.
1: Perfect. Well, is there anything else you think we should
0: know? I think that um, people are probably, you know, there's a stigma involved with addiction um with recovery and you know i think that this this city this county of frederick obviously realizes that we have a problem and that we need some answers and i don't think a recovery high school is the answer i think it's one more uh resource that we have not used i have friends and i and some people might not know this but there are high schoolers in our county that are dying from overdoses and they are there are kids who are suffering from substance use disorder, whose parents are spending every dollar they ever saved their whole life to try to help their kids, and for us to step in and provide this resource with with the right structure, the right um, tools necessary. I think uh, people need to have an open mind about it. I think um, you know people don't want this downtown, and and that's okay, um, but it's needed. And I think the more that we're open to it and the more the discussions that we have, uh, transparent discussions like we're having today, um, the more people can understand that this is a vital need and that this is going to, uh, be a signif- help make a significant difference in the lives of, of our kids.
1: All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on.
1: The Frederick News Post will continue to follow the latest on the Recovery High School. Read all of the coverage at fredericknewspost.com. City editor Alan Etzler now joins me to talk a little bit more about what else is going on in Frederick County. Okay, Alan, can you tell us a little bit about what else happened this week?
2: Yeah, so um, last week was a kind of an interesting news week for us. We had sports-dominated front pages a couple times. We talked about the uh, Frederick Keys being on the list from the New York Times of uh, minor league stadiums that might fold. Uh, but but two days later, we got a, a story of... um. Debbie Thompson-Brown, for, for those who don't know, uh, Debbie Thompson-Brown is uh, the first Frederick native and the only Frederick native to ever make the, the Olympics. Uh, she made the 1964 Olympic Games in Tokyo and uh, ran the 200-meter dash. Uh, so John uh, Cannon in our sports department wrote a really, really great story uh, about her career um, in qualifying for those games and talked to the people. Uh, that she ran with and the coaches that influenced her, uh but also got into what she did post olympics and she ended her career pretty early um and and after that went into coaching and and uh a lot of the people from our community talked about how um how she really lived up to the standard of what being an Olympian was and how giving back into into the community and being of service and um I want to say it's it's cool to to write these types of stories because a lot of times you you get some reaction to them. And one of the most interesting—this was about the most interesting reaction we've yeah. ever gotten. Uh, we got a call from uh, a woman named Rosie Bonds, uh, who ran in the Olympics, um, or not in the Olympics, but ran in, in for Team USA with uh, with Debbie Thompson Brown. And Rosie Bonds is the aunt of MLB uh, home run king Barry Bonds, and the brother or the sister of Bobby Bonds, who is Barry Bonds' dad. Um, and so that was just kind of like a six degrees of separation type of thing but it was really great to get a call from her and she wanted to reconnect with Tammy Davis who is one of the uh the teammates on that Team USA team who we quoted in the story so we're, we're trying to get them linked mm-hmm. up and uh, I really hope that that works out that was a really swell um uh, story and just a, a lovely call to get to kind of a change of pace considering most of the calls we get here <laughs> um we we also had a story from Erica Riley uh, that I thought was a pretty impactful story business story about of uh, vape shops that are struggling, uh, a lot of the county vape shops have uh, seen a major decline in in business, and that's for a couple reasons. Um, one, obviously, I think if you're paying attention to the news and in vaping related uh, news, you're you're seeing a lot of negative coverage of vaping, um, and that negative coverage has really hindered their their business because people are worried about getting these kind of lung lung injuries uh, that are happening, basically based off of black market vaping, and so they're uh the vape shops are concerned uh because they feel like the coverage has has been fair or has been unfair uh because most of the the products that are causing damage are, are kind of black market they're not what you would get in their in their vape shop um one of the vape shops we talked to said they've seen a business de- uh, decline of 25 to 40% in the last couple of months which is a that's that's steep um and the other reason they've they've seen a little bit of a decline is uh the state raised the minimum age for tobacco products from 18 to, to 21 so you're getting a, uh that's cutting into your demographic of who you're marketing these products toward uh, but the story also went into to real health concerns these these products are 20 times more they have 20 times more nicotine in it than a pack of cigarettes do uh that's that's a lot um so they're very addictive uh, you're seeing them marketed towards a lot of a lot of teenagers, uh, which really probably isn't the demographic uh that you should be marketing towards if it's a tobacco product um so that was a really interesting story by Erica Riley um, Brunswick, which has been in much need of economic development uh received a grant Brunswick Main Street received a grant on behalf of Smoketown Brewing Station. This is a story you wrote. Um, for Dave Blackman, who will now be able to kind of open up the upstairs of his uh, brewery and kind of start doing renovations to open up an event space, that's something you could talk more in depth to yeah. uh, and how badly that's needed. But that's a that's a big deal for that for that city.
1: Yeah, I think um, there was a lot of concern that if he didn't get the grant, what would happen? Um, just because a lot of people talk about revitalization efforts that are so needed in Brunswick and they are working towards them. Um, but this is definitely something that they've kind of hung their hat on that if they get this, this will really pull a lot of people down to an area that sees a lot of traffic, I think, during the summer, but doesn't see a lot of it in their actual downtown shops and um, restaurants. So this will kind of keep people downtown, hopefully.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people come and spend spend a day on the river and, and they use it for, as a transportation hub and all sorts of things like that. Uh, but it's getting them to kind of come and spend their money rather than just use it as a pass-through town.
1: Yeah, and that was just one of the grants that they received on mm-hmm. behalf of the um, governor's office. So it sounds like there's a lot going on in Brunswick, which I think even we hear a joke about Brunswick as a town that doesn't always get quite the amount of attention it needs, but seems that it might mm-hmm. be changing.
2: Yeah, and then in some negative uh, economic development news for the city of Frederick, uh, if you recall a couple months ago, uh, Guido speakeasy closed. Uh, Today we found out that over the weekend, Blue Side Tavern closed, and Blue Side Tavern was another uh, well-known event space. It had a lot of musicians. One of our own, uh, our graphic designer, Katie Powderly, who is a tremendous musician, uh, plays there a lot. She no longer has a place to play. More importantly, a lot of people lost their jobs around the holidays, and that's that's, uh, tough news to take, and so it's um, uh, difficult uh, for downtown Frederick. Uh, Hopefully there will be some news of filling that space quickly but we don't we don't have any information on that um we don't have any information on why they closed really either uh, just kind of some speculation from the community but uh, a a loss for Frederick uh in, in that sense
1: yeah and very interesting just this like i think it was another area, just closed down area 31 There's, area 31
2: another event venue yeah. so
1: um it'll be interesting just because when in talking with um dave blackman with smoketown um he mentioned that his smoketown creekside he's hoping to get um And like some entertainment on the stage that Mm -hmm. he has built there, which would be one of the larger spaces for entertainment. Um, Uh, Now
2: you're looking at one of the only ones.
1: Yeah, now one of the only ones, which kind of rides on um, an entertainment bill that has to pass through um, Mm -hmm. the Frederick City Alderman, which is kind of interesting because you have places closing down as they're trying to group (laughs) together to (laughs) pass this bill. And then it could actually make Brunswick one of the places to go in Frederick County, which is a twist people probably did not see coming.
2: (laughs) It could, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so those are all the the big stories from this past week. Uh, Looking forward, obviously, it's Thanksgiving, Um, so you'll see a lot of Thanksgiving-related coverage, in particular of how you can give around the holidays. Um, Please don't overlook the fact that there's a lot of people who don't have things that they need. Um, So if you can give, if you're in a situation where you can give, uh, please do, and you'll be able to follow along our coverage and see where. Where you'll be able to give who needs what and and how you, and it doesn't have to be money. Uh, that's another. It's an important story that you're working on. Uh, you don't always have to give your money. Sometimes you have things in your house that you don't use that somebody else would use a lot and, and would desperately need. Uh, so keep an eye out for that type of covers.
1: Yeah, we'll be making it pretty easy for f- you guys to follow along. Um, our Thursday uh, newspaper will have a lot of the nonprofit wish lists essentially. So make sure to check those out as you flip through our pages to get to the black friday ads
2: and that was that brings me to my last point black friday and frosty friday are are big deals here locally uh frosty friday celebrates shopping local black friday celebrates just the massive deals you get via amazon and target and all the big box shops uh so if you're looking for that um we'll have that covered as well so all right exciting (laughs) exciting coverage this week busy
1: busy week for all of us Well, Alan, thank you so much for coming in and recapping. Thanks for having me. Now, I know Thanksgiving is Thursday, and food is probably already on people's minds. But before you think about turkey, tofurkey, or ham, food and education reporter Katrina Pereira is here to talk about her latest five-star review. Okay, Katrina, so I hear you gave a coveted five-star review to the restaurant that you reviewed this week. So can you tell us what the restaurant is and why it was so good?
3: Yes, I reviewed Juliet's Italian Market and Cafe in downtown Frederick. And you're right, I did give them five stars um, because they offer up an amazing lunch.
1: All right, so tell us just a little bit, what can you get when you go to Juliet's Market?
3: So primarily their menu is sandwiches. Um, We're talking subs, paninis, hot sandwiches. Um, They do have a couple salads in their little deli counter, um, and you know if you're feeling like you want to heat something up that's not a sandwich, they do actually have some like prepackaged eggplant parmesan and and ravioli and stuff in their freezer um so you have a little more options than sandwiches, but I feel like if you're going to Juliet's, you should get one of their sandwiches
1: okay, so let's start off about talking about the sandwiches. What sandwich should I start by trying if I were to go there?
3: um, I would definitely start with one of their paninis. Um, they put all their paninis on this really, really nice focaccia. Um, it's like perfectly crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. It doesn't crumble when you bite into it, which is a huge pet peeve of mine. You can read more about that in the review. Um, I hate it when sandwich bread crumbles all over my lap. And this bread does not do that. Um, and their paninis are pretty classic Italian. You got your caprese, you got your Sicilian, you got your you know Italian prosciutto, uh, salami, capicola, you know, every single hard meat that you could possibly think of um and yeah they're pretty awesome
1: all right so we've already talked about how you're kind of a stickler when it comes to italian so did this hold up to your standards for italian food absolutely
3: um the first uh, the first sandwich i tried was their caprese panini which is mozzarella tomato uh, pesto and one thing that i really appreciated about it was that they didn't put balsamic vinegar on their caprese panini because i actually don't like that um and i found that not a lot of places in italy unlike here put balsamic on their caprese paninis so i really liked that like little traditional hook right there um and honestly every single sandwich kind of tasted like they had transported it straight from italy
1: all right perfect so i I can kind of see why it's getting this five-star review from you um so if I'm going for lunch, does that differ from if I go for dinner? Can I get dinner there?
3: So unfortunately, it closes at 6.30 p.m. Um, so if you're in the mood for an early dinner, yes. Um, if not, I would definitely recommend one of those uh, freezer options that I mentioned earlier. They're pretty big and they have tomato sauce. They have meatballs. They have quiches um, and they're all, you know, made, frozen, packaged, ready to go.
1: All right. So you start with a caprese. Um what is your favorite sandwich that you tried?
3: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if this was my favorite, but I will say that their meatball sub, which is only served on Fridays, was very good. Um, it's huge. You can definitely eat it for two meals. I did. um, And it's, again, a really, really nice hoagie with really big, plump, juicy meatballs, in there like overflowing with tomato sauce and then really nice melted provolone on top um it's about two meatballs a sandwich so you're getting about four meatballs in total um, and you have to call ahead to reserve this sandwich because once they run out of the ingredients they run out so i highly recommend calling as soon as they open at 11:30 on a friday
1: and wow this. okay <laughs> keep that in mind everyone mark your calendars i maybe not this week since it's right after thanksgiving and you may be still full but For right after when you're ready for a meatball sub, 1130 Friday, put it in your iPhone calendars, (laughs) just, you know, mark it down. Exactly. All right. Perfect. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the delivery. Is it like a sit down where you ordered the sandwich? Do you go up to the table and walk away? So
3: it's kind of like a little deli um, slash grocery store. So you can certainly sit down. Um, There are a few small tables in the back, but um, I always got my sandwiches to go and they pack Package them up really nicely. They always split them in half for for you and actually wrap each half individually, which I found really nice. Um, But, you know, you can certainly sit there if you wish.
1: All right. Perfect. Well, anything else do you think we should know? No, just that they have
3: really, really good sandwiches.
1: Just a little quick story. So Katrina told us all that she was reviewing this and she emailed us to say that she'd be bringing sandwiches because I assume they were getting T- their photos taken yeah and she said i'll be here at this time and i put that on my calendar because i was like "Ooh, free food these sandwiches everyone keeps talking about them i got caught up in something else <laughs> i came back and there were no sandwiches and so it, it was the biggest disappointment of last week so yeah, i was
3: wondering <laughs> where you were
1: <laughs> got caught up and I completely forgot about the sandwiches to lure me back to the office so you'll just have to go i know i'm, I'm gonna put it on my list friday at 11:30. my phone 30. will go off but to know it's called for the meatball sandwich All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. As always, you can read Katrina's food reviews at fredericknewspost.com or check out 72 Hours when it comes out on Thursdays. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.